1: through literature, the arts, the skilled trades, and the humanities. We thank you for joining us tonight, and we'd love you to be a part of tonight's discussion by calling in with your comments or questions to 347-324-5552. Well, there's uh, been an incident uh, up around St. Louis, Missouri, in a community known as Perkinson, Missouri, where an unarmed, unarmed black teenager by the name of Michael Brown um, was killed and uh, murdered by the police. And this was two or three days ago. And I guess there's a lot of unrest going on up there. I'm in Kansas City, Missouri, which is about 250 miles west.
2: My name is Kevin Gibbs, and um, I'm a resident all my life, 53 years old, St. Louis, Missouri. I'm sorry, I just got out of being in police custody here in St. Louis, Missouri.
1: Are you
3: joking? No, No
2: I'm not joking. I was going to call in at 8 o'clock, 7 o'clock St. Louis time, but I got a daughter going to college, and I was trying to do some of those last-minute Kmart shopping, but I had to cut through Ferguson. And uh, all I can tell you is that I've been avoiding Ferguson, Missouri, which is like a half a mile to a mile from my house. And I've been avoiding it since the incident happened Saturday, which I only found out that evening because I had a visitor, and I'm ex-firefighter, you know, and a lot of police officers come over my house and firefighters from the city. My old friends, childhood friends, and they were like, man, something's going on, something's going on. And when they got here, they started, like, inquiring and started making phone calls. They found out the young man had been shot. And since then, I avoided the area because of the way that they treat you in that area. I mean, it's to the point where I don't care what your age is. You can be a doctor, lawyer, senator, whatever. If you roll through that area, they see you as only black. They jump behind you, and you grip the steering wheel real hard as if to say, okay, did I pay that ticket? Did I do this? Did I do this? And it just becomes so uncomfortable that if you have the opportunity to avoid that area, you do. And I normally do. So tonight I tripped. I was coming from my mom's house. She's 83 years old. I went in the city. And on my way back, I decided to come and check out this grocery store and this store. And I found myself closer to coming home from where I was in instead of going the roundabout way. And I came through, and the police officer pulled me over, and I asked, what did I do? And uh, he asked me where else I was going. So I'm going home. And he said that uh, I was going too slow. I said, the speed I mean, limit is 35 miles an hour. And he motioned to another police officer told me to pull over to the right. And I pulled over to the right, and the next thing I know, I was handcuffed. And I was like, man, yeah, this is the reason why we have having what we're going on with. Now, I'm ex-military, two special forces. I can knock you off your foot 2,000, miles out, I mean 2,000 feet out, and I'm pissed off because I'm looking at them as just to say, you know, I really don't like this. And I really don't appreciate you all treating me this way. And uh, I'm just so happy that only one in St. Louis is my daughter. The kids are out of time until Friday when the party starts here in my house. But it is so crazy, so crazy. I mean, we're talking 1968, 69. They're not treating us or anyone in a manner in which you would like to be treated. And the governor stepped in today and took over control of that municipality and put the state troopers in charge with a black guy who grew up there who's head of the troop seat department. So right now, all I can tell you all is that I'm glad you all, I was able to get on your show and tell you, but it is hectic here, and it's really just straight racial.
1: What did they charge you with? I'm sorry? What did they charge you with?
2: They didn't charge me with anything. They told me what I did wrong and locked me up and inconvenienced me, towed my car to the other side of the road, and then by the time I got ready to get out, they said, okay, you ready You ready to go? And I said, yeah. I said, what did I do? And they didn't give me no explanation or nothing, but when I got ready to get my car, that was $210. How many dollars? Yeah. $210 to get and my no car. no charge. No charge. Uh, last night they uh, maced the senator. And she was talking on television and whatnot to some folks, and she's a senator for the district, and what she actually got maced with. And she was a little upset because the police department and the media is reporting that the crowd got rowdy. They weren't rowdy. She was there with about two preachers and about nine members of his church. The next thing you know, they got maced to the point where They just had to run for their lives, and she said, I voted for this district. I gave them the funding for all of this and whatnot, and it was just so inappropriate, and she was on Channel 4 News talking about it, and I was like, wow. you know." So right about now, I could be honest with you, it's chaotic down there. We had the uh, mayor of the city of Ferguson and the chief there, and he was telling the folks on TV that his department had to take uh, black and Muslim, no, he said, it was Muslim and Baptist sensitivity courses. Ain't that abroad? You know, sensitivity Mm -hmm. courses in the environment in which you live and in which you work? I'm telling you, it is really hectic. here. It feels like 1968, 1969, somewhere else, and if you realize the dates that this started, this is the last major riot in in, uh, the United States. It was on this exact date, 1965, so it is weird, and all I can tell you is that uh, I hope it gets better, but it's not going by the way that history has repeated itself where we actually benefited from something like a riot. I hope it gets worse because nothing is going to get done if nothing gets worse, meaning the government not going to step in. They're not going to do anything, and they're just going to say, okay, they just forgot about it. But I'm telling you, these white people here are rough. Even the mayor has a wife with a website that stepped on and she, I mean, she just, she voiced her opinion. You, you would say she's the racist of all races, and this is the chief of police wife. So all I can tell you is that Well, uh, it might be a radio show, but I've made together a whole doggone envelope of things and images here that you might not see there. And, uh, boy, I sure would like to share it with you.
4: Hello. Yeah, Dr. Hello?
1: You still there?
4: I'm still here.
1: Okay, and you said you were uh, you observing some protesters, and where are those protesters?
4: The protesters are actually at the St. Louis Arch, and so I am at Keener Plaza, which is directly across the street from the arch, and there are probably about 300 people, it looks like, from where I'm standing that have started to assemble here actually at the arch for a what is now being called a peaceful um, moment of silence and a prayer vigil for Michael Brown.
1: And what about the police presence there? You see any? Is it strong, weak, in between?
4: So the police that are standing there basically just have on, they look like public safety officers. They have on the little um, vests that go over. I'm in a car. I'm in a um, parking garage, so I could get a good aerial view. And there's a police officer on a bicycle standing not too far from my car.
1: Okay. Now you said that you were uh, living a sister city there. What was the experience like for you guys living in uh, Florissant, Missouri?
4: Um, Actually, in the in the part of Florissant that I live, I have not seen anything. I have not heard anything other than sirens in the middle of the night. Um, I will say that on Friday evening before all of this started, um, I was actually in uh, Ferguson doing community service with my sorority and we actually, um, we meet in, in uh, Ferguson once a month. So we were there, we had our usual meeting that we have and then the next morning we were actually giving out food supplies in that neighborhood. So. Um, you know, of course, by the time we were done passing out our supplies, that's just as the event was starting to happen. Um, but to give you a proximity of how close we were, the area where we have our our meetings is actually in that parking lot of the Walmart that was destroyed. So very, very close to home.
1: Okay. Have you been able to talk to anyone that uh, had eyes on the situation as it I developed? Have-
4: I have not. Um, I have followed a few people. I'm not on social media, but um, I have received um, pictures. I've talked to a couple of people who know people who have been there. Um, My church actually this afternoon participated in the uh, protest, the peaceful protest that was led by this new person, Ron Johnson, who uh, basically when he went out there, he came out with a bullhorn and he said, You know, first and foremost, I'm from Ferguson. I live here. I'm one of you. And he said, I love you. And the crowd just overwhelmingly shouted back, we love you too. And from there, he had some state patrolmen then fire up their cars, and they actually led the protest. And this is probably the first time we've had a protest that did not have an actual incident because The the state patrol was leading it and giving protection, but there were also officers intermingled in between the protesters, walking with them and talking with them as they went. Um, The protest lasted for maybe an hour, and there were thousands of people there, and, again, it was without incident as far as I know. Yes, so it's been interesting. Like I said, I live in the sister city. I'm very familiar where this incident place and and happened to be in that area the night before. um, I am curious to go down there and see what's going on, um, but also For my own safety, I have a family, and, you know, I don't want to put myself in harm's way. Um, We had one of our aldermen um, who was arrested last night because he was taking pictures and taking video. We also had one of our senators, um, a black female senator, who was uh, tear-gassed here, and she basically got on the news and said, you know what? I approve your budget, police department. I approve your budget. And here you are firing on me in a peaceful protest. So it's been very volatile. Um, but one of the, the things that I saw just before I called in that really, really touched my heart, um, the news is now giving, at least the station that I watch, which is KMOV Channel 4, giving a very balanced perspective of all of the people that are out there um, that have been arrested are not from Ferguson, first of all. Uh, the second piece is, is that All of those individuals that are out there are not just black and brown people, but they are people of all faiths, all religions, just a lot of people out here. And one of the things that I just saw was a Marine dressed in full regalia. And he said, I, as a Marine, I'm a defender of democracy. I'm a defender of my country. And he said, and when this kind of stuff happens on our turf, the Marines show up. And they showed Marines who were there in full garb. Marching with the protesters, and there weren't any brothers in the group.
1: Yeah, you know, I was impressed with that as well. On Facebook, I noticed that there were a lot of a lot of diversity amongst the uh, demonstrators. Uh, is your husband George with you?
4: Uh, no, my husband is not with me, but I expect that he will probably call in shortly. I'm actually getting ready to go into a ball game, but because the ball game is right next to the arch, I'm kind of caught up in what's going on at the arch right now.
1: Yeah, I was kinda of wondering what kind of experiences uh he could share with us. Um But if he calls in we'll let him do that.
3: Okay, we have a we have another caller on it, five six one. Hello here called five six one. Hi. Yep. You're on with Preston, Washington?
2: Hey Preston, what's up? Not a whole lot. This is your brother Curtis. <laughs>
1: Okay, this is Curtis, uh, this is Jackie's father, my brother.
2: Yeah, how
1: y'all doing? Well, we're doing all right.
2: Well, that's good. I've been following this whole thing down here in Ferguson. and
1: uh, Now, where, I are, where some... are you calling from? Where are you, Curtis? You in St. Louis or Texas?
2: I'm in uh, Killeen, Texas, down in Fort Worth. Okay.
1: okay, go ahead. And
2: uh, I've been following it down here. It's getting a lot of national news, and, and things just got to change because things can't stay the way they are. I mean, you know, I read an article the other night. Every 28 hours, a black man is either killed by police or vigilantes.
3: You know, mainly we talk about history, black history, and what I think of when I think of what's happening in Ferguson and Rodney King is I think about the history of patty rollers and the Second Amendment and uh, the right to bear arms and how it was really put in place down resurrections and um revolts during slavery. When you see the mass the massive military equipment that this small town used on this peaceful protest that went away, you know, for a little bit, what do you you know, what do you think about in terms of history and the pad- paddy rollers and the stop and frisk and the stand your ground. What comes to mind to you when you look back in history and the things that we overcame and what we're going through now? Anybody can address that question.
1: Well, what comes to mind for me in terms of the research that I've been doing, and you can go back, you know, it's a good idea to go back through history. For example, I'm thinking of Slavery by Another Name by Douglas uh, Blackman and how black men particularly were controlled and the legal system the sheriff, the justice of the peace, those people were used along with uh, those farmers and, and uh, industries that conspired to arrest, corral uh, black men for uh, dubious uh, charges and whatnot. And they were sent to plantations and, and coal mines and others to do work. And then even here more recently, uh, the new Jim Crow. Uh, Michelle Alexander. And then you take that all the way back to what you mentioned about the patty rollers, um, where a lot of the law enforcement evolved out of patty rollers, whose main focus and job was to make sure that blacks were not out after curfew. If they were out after curfew, did they have papers? Were they armed? Um, Even Are they congregating uh, around religious areas? Are they congregated around their juke joints? And if they are, let's break it up and get them back to the plantation. So yeah, definitely there's been a continuation um, from slavery uh, even before emancipation because the free blacks had to be uh, controlled as well. Uh, They had to be limited in terms of their movement and who uh, they congregated with, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, this is really nothing new. It's just one continuation, one thread, as we would say. Um it's been coming down the pike forever. And as, uh, my brother, uh, Curtis mentioned, the day has come. Something's gotta be done. Uh, something has got to occur, uh, to stop this thing mm-hmm. rolling. Um, okay, anyone step else?
4: From my perspective, you know, when they use this militaristic force and they come out and they have those tanks, they have the gas, and they're ready to go to war, in my opinion, it seems a, a message that we are the enemy. And when I say we, the people of color or the people that are there peacefully protesting, it makes you feel like you're the enemy. You know, your Army, your National Guard shouldn't have your because we are Americans. But when they show up with that full force, it basically
1: puts you on the other side of that gun. And, you know, about this military um, hardware that they have, the tanks and, uh, excuse me, uh, the rocket satellites and whatever they have, that goes back to 9-11. After 9-11 the federal government put out a lot of money to these states under the auspices of getting ready for terrorist attacks, not knowing where they were going to come from, who would be hit next, etc. So these local police departments all over the country put in these bids because the money was flowing. And they bought all these tanks and um, all this other military hardware, and now looking for any excuse to bring it out. And and hence what you see in Ferguson, people uh, protesting peaceably and whatnot, and they come out in all this this armored cars and bulletproof vests and helmets and face shields and rocket launchers and all of that. Well, that's coming out of the 9-11. I think we can uh, uh, thank uh, President Bush uh for our local law enforcement local agencies having that kind of hardware uh, at their disposal. And of course if you to Okay, gotta, you well thank use you it. for
3: that insight. We have another caller uh on the line, eight one six area code.
2: Hello. Hi,
3: it's eight, this are uh, you Le- eight one six
0: collecting Les This Jenkins Leslie. Le- 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 Leslie, is Leslie is Gary, <laughs> Jenkins, in, Leslie hi, is Gary Jenkins, Jenkins in Kansas City. Hi fine, how are you?
3: Great. I want Preston to introduce you because he's on the line. And he's the host, and we want to ask you a question about patty rollers and what's going on okay. in
0: Ferguson. Yeah, that was interesting. Yeah. That that you know, and, and 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 I can see that connection. That that definitely uh, uh, kind of the, the local law enforcement, probably the, in the South and in rural areas especially, and not so much in big cities. But they, they created. Uh, uh, it was different, but yeah, local law enforcement for cities and counties in, in rural areas during slave times where that was a huge part of their job was to uh, check passes and make sure people were where they were supposed to be. And, and, uh, and I can see a natural progression right on to uh, 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 local police departments and, and county sheriffs. And, and uh, so that that was an interesting, insightful comment.
1: Yeah, I might mention that uh, Gary is a former police officer here in Kansas City, Missouri, uh, who has since retired, went to law school, became an attorney, Um, is also a filmmaker, uh, documentaries, uh, books relative to the Underground Railroad, um, and some very uh, outstanding work around uh, African American history. Uh, particularly, uh, dealing with, uh, slavery and the aftermath of slavery, uh, also here wrote an excellent book and uh, documentary on slavery here in Missouri and how it involved in an area here in Missouri now is a little different. When right, right, and, and what's,
3: what's, Gary, what's interesting that you have a law degree, um, now it's been reported that... They, the police officers, uh, sprayed the reporters with uh, rubber bullets and gas and took away their cameras, took away the protesters' cell phones and cameras. What can you tell us about the law and the legality of taking that sort of property away from peaceful protesters?
0: <laughs> Well, the uh, uh, the taking away of of cameras and and uh, uh, things like that you you better you better have a good reason and you better be able to give it back to them in basically the same condition which they had it which they got it and uh, uh, otherwise your uh, people be opening themselves up to uh, and, and uh, you know I'm not sure it's possibly a civil rights violation. Uh, 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 definitely uh, uh, more like a, a civil, uh, local civil kind of a uh, charge uh, for uh, you know destroying property unnecessarily. Of course, that's uh, uh, it, it's a difficult situation, and, and you never know the circumstances. And, and sometimes people overreact, and and uh, so I don't want to rush to judgment on it, but I know that that. Uh, cameras uh, uh, historically have uh, been like a red flag to a bull, a uh, kid cameras to a policeman recording them. I, I've seen it over and over. I, I had a client come to me once. This was really a, a private security guard, but it's basically the same uh, uh, a person acting as if they're law enforcement. And, and uh, uh, you know, as soon as he turned that camera on, and, and, and they were. Uh, it was a long story, but but they were messing with him. They they didn't know who he was, and they didn't think he should be where he was, and and he should have been where he was, and and he's just a real innocent little old guy, and and but he was a he's a, a, a photographer, and, and he had a video camera, and he turned it on him, and, and boy, they they went ballistic on him, and, and so uh, you know, I mean, we talked about it, but they didn't really do anything to him other than just intimidate him finally into moving along and, and it's hard to show any kind of real damages. Uh, so that That's another problem is you got to show some kind of damages uh, before you go. Uh, now, in, it's in any important kind of
3: that we, uh, Gary, it's important that we yeah. talk about the cameras because just recently um, there were several people um, filming with their cell phones an incident in New York, Staten Island, where a gentleman, an unarmed black man, was um, chokehold, allegedly chokehold to death by a police department. And we believed that if it weren't for those people using their cameras, that, um, you know, the media would not have never gave uh, this story any
0: coverage. Oh, so yeah, that, that that camera thing... Mm-hmm. Well, if you notice, uh, police departments uh, 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 joined the joined the crowds, shall we say, and, and have cameraed and microphoned up, at least in big cities. Uh, every policeman that, that's out there, practically now, they do have a, a, an option of shutting it off, but they better have a reason why they shut it off. And, and so, but yeah, starting with it, really started with Rodney King, and, and that would have never come to life. That would have never have happened, and, and that that Rodney King incident uh, the shockwaves from that really uh, it, it, all police departments including this one in Kansas City felt the effects of that and and uh, mm-hmm. so they you know that that was you know that was a watershed event and it came from just somebody with a little handheld camera i was working the streets during that time and and uh, all of a sudden, people were showing up with cameras everywhere, <laughs> and 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 it it makes a difference. It, it makes a difference for how people act. So, uh, and, so and, as a police and, officer,
3: you know, and and now I'm going to ask this question to both of you, Gary and Preston, as police officers, it did affect you guys, knowing that you may be recorded by a public uh, video camera that's being used for security reasons. Or individual you know oh, yeah. as police officers Sure, she thought of it. <laughs> it makes yeah, kind of
1: sense. We weren't confronted with cameras. I do remember one occasion, however, that a guy brought out a tape recorder on me and set it up on the on the top of his car, it stopped him on a traffic violation. And yes, that had some impact on the way I talked to him, what I questioned him about, et cetera, because I didn't want to go ballistic and take it away from him and and whatnot, you know. And it turned out he was an attorney, yeah. and uh, yeah, he whipped it right out, and uh, it had some influence on my behavior. And this
0: is back in the mid '70s, yeah,
1: maybe early oh, '70s, yeah. late '60s, early
0: '70s. Mm-hmm. and then definitely after uh, Rodney king it it was just uh, it it had a huge effect and and then, like I said, police departments joined them uh, uh now i I think it seemed like they said this Ferguson this as the smaller uh police department or not they don't don 't have everybody camera up. but boy in in big departments, all those field officers there's a camera on the dash there's a camera uh uh they're carrying around a little camera and they're uh, buttonhole and there's a, a microphone a- and so you know they can shut it off but they better have a good reason for it. And you know those cameras yeah. have worked both ways because it has helped
1: it has helped some officers uh, mm-hmm. to show that they were in the right, did nothing wrong, etc. One other yeah. thing I want to mention: um, I can recall in the uh, when Chief. Uh, uh, Kelly came in to the apartment, he posted a sign in the basement of the uh, police department and you would always see it as you would leave the building. And that sign said, beyond these doors, you, and you was emboldened, are the police department. And I know that put, uh, it kind of said to me that my behavior would reflect on my fellow officers as their behavior would also reflect on me. So what was happening there, what he was trying to instill, I think, was some activity that would have us check one another. I don't know how effective it worked. I know it worked for me because it certainly Mm -hmm. impacted my behavior when I got on the street um, because I was representing my fellow officers. I was the police department. Uh, that okay, door. that
3: that brings me to another question, um, fellas. Um, recently it's been reported that in Florida that they discovered uh, there were some KKK members for us. Um, what do you have to say when you read reports like that or if you have been around people like Furman? When we talk about the OJ um, case where we had Furman who was accused of um, – that type of activity, and, you know, he had been behaving racially, um, you know, a, been a racist in front of several of his police officers and came out that he he was uh, being recorded. He recorded himself in uh, saying racist comments for something he thought was going to be a movie. And that's how openly openly racist he was within his own department. Um, how do you guys address that, or how has your department addressed someone who has a reputation, who has, who has demonstrated that they are racist? Do they normally fire these people? Do they give them sensitivity training as they're trying to do in Staten Island? How do they address people um, in the force that have a reputation or have, have gotten in trouble because of their racist ways?
1: From the experience that I um, remember, most officers like that were just removed to where they had no contact with the public, particularly out on the streets, um, Or they might have been sent up to the detective unit or whatever, where they had less involvement um, with the public and would not be so likely to be caught up in a volatile situation, uh, uh-huh. such as what occurred there. Um, and, um, and, and the community, we're talking about Ferguson, Ferguson. Ferguson right.
3: And, and what do you yeah. have to say about that, Gary? Have you ever, we well, you know, police uh, officers?
0: <laughs> you know, uh, uh, Preston has not heard some of the comments that I've heard because Preston's mm. black and I'm white <laughs> and, 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 but there's a, there's racism, uh, uh. Mm-hmm. uh and and there's people that make comments but you know they just they they're, they're under you know they they just don't do it real blatantly when when they're they don't do it to citizens directly you know because they know that's they'll be in trouble and and they'll make those comments among their close friends and and uh or in small groups and and uh there'll be aside comments and and you know, I mean, it's it's kind of part of life. It's uh, uh, that that people, uh, you know, they're kind of they, they've been raised in maybe a, a somewhat of a racist uh, home, and and uh, and so that's how they view life. Now we people are trained that you know that you don't bring that into your work, and now that's that's when they start bringing that into the work when that that becomes evident that it somehow has they they make decisions based on that then uh that's when they start getting in trouble and and if you can document it then they'll be in real trouble and there will be some uh since it's how we say sensitivity training and and they look at people uh uh you know that have some repeated uh adverse interactions with uh With with folks of a different race, and if there if there seems like there's a problem, then they'll bring that up and try to address that. It's it's such a uh, uh, covert kind of a feeling. You you just I mean covert activity that it's hard to get into what somebody's really thinking. You you can only really judge them by their actions, and and so that's you just got to wait on the actions and. And, You know, I, I, uh, police, uh, most police departments, big city, at least this one here, has done a lot of things. Uh, I, I'll never forget. Uh, uh, we we did like this back in 1972. We did kind of a uh, a, a retreat, and and uh, it was a the Reverend Cleaver at the time. He's a congressman, Cleaver now, and and he attended, and it was kind of like a retreat that a whole bunch of us that worked, I worked uh thirty fifth I mean I mean let's see thirty yeah 35th, 39th ninth the sale to prospect car one hundred fifty four and Preston will know where that is. I was like the only white man for in that entire sector a- and, and unless one of my other cops came and the other cops came in a- and people from that sector uh, went to this re- weekend kind of a retreat and emmanuel cleaver was there and and I'll never forget and he said uh something that affected me the rest of my career he said. And he talked about a simple little thing that that causes a huge problem. And as a and, and as a lawyer, I said it's a huge burden on poor folks. And that's just simple traffic tickets. And and he said, you know, we have the highest concentration of policemen in the inner city, and and, and so uh, uh, and and that's where we get the highest amount of tickets with on the population who can afford it the least. And, and so you know that that was one of the early things I probably was on about. A year, a uh, year and a half when I, two years maybe when I heard that, and and it affected me. And so, you know, they have. Uh, uh, I'll never forget a guy. We had some other sensitivity training where, uh, people you get hardened to uh, crime on the streets, and 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 he said and and he explained it to us. And he was a guy who had been on the streets, and he said, you know, he said it's the the killing or the shooting over two dollars in a crap game is not about the two dollars. It's about the lack of opportunity, the lack of jobs, the uh, the poor schooling, the poor conditions that that person has been raised in, it's about their entire environment, not about that $2. And so, you know, we, we, we've gotten that training over the years and, and uh, uh, no big organization like that with people that are thrown into uncontrolled situations all the time, trying to, to get them under control and, and make everybody safe. Uh, uh, they don't do it perfectly, that's for sure. But... but by and large, you know, at least my experience on Kansas City Police Department, they work real hard uh, to to make people aware. Of, now, you know, the similarities there's a different and different culture you for out that. there.
3: Thank you for the for that sharing that story. Um, it mm-hmm. really says a lot, uh, especially about if the the part about the two. It's not about the two dollars. Um, yeah, that is that that is impactful. But uh, when we go back to the Ferguson. Story, story in the Mike Brown where a young man was killed um, allegedly by a police officer, an unarmed kid, uh, while his hands were up and he was shot in the back. Um, this case reminds me of the Zimmerman and Trayvon case, uh, which has still been unresolved and has made its way to the federal court or federal um, investigation. Um, it reminds me of Zimmerman because similar to Zimmerman, it has been reported that the department won't release the names of the police officers involved with this shooting. In the Zimmerman case, they wouldn't arrest, they wouldn't arrest Zimmerman, and this is why the people were in such an uproar. I also posted on Facebook that a hack, hacking activist group went on and publicized the addresses. Not the address, I'm sorry, the names of the police all the police officers in that department the Ferguson police department, and they threatened to uh, to um publicize their addresses if the police department did not release the name now it's also and I'm throwing this all together because I want you guys to do most of the talking um this case also reminds me of the, the incident where we had a black, black police officer who felt he was harassed and went out and started killing um, his fellow officers' family members. And then, lo and behold, and of course he was um, killed too. But I think he shot up a few of his officers' um, children and whatnot. What what does that say to you that the media and these hackers and your life may be in danger as a good police officer because of one or two bad police officers are being protected. Now that puts you in harm's way because the public is now looking at you as the enemy, all of you, and are willing to release your information and cause, you know, this this grief when they could just resolve it and arrest them in, if they could resolve it and just release the names, of these officers, how does that make you feel amongst the ranks when you're in your locker room or when you're, you know, when you're working together, you know, when you know who did it and who's at fault, and the the powers that be is protecting that
0: individual? Gary, what do you I'm have sure. to
3: say about it? Well,
0: uh, you know, the, first of all, the the whole uh, issue about uh, release of his, this officer's name or not, Uh, that whole issue is uh, uh, it's like well so why so so what good does that do and because I guess people don't trust that the system is going to work and 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 I understand that lack of trust but but uh, but it is going to work I've seen it work I don't know how many times and and what happens is as you they work their way through this. First of all, they they've gathered physical evidence and they've taken statements from all kinds of people and and uh, uh, and then they take that in and they sit down and somebody goes over those statements and then they go get the physical evidence. They get the ballistics. They they uh, uh, you know they take the handgun away from the officer and and uh, I know an officer involved shooting. I have to assume. I mean, I can only report on my own experiences from being involved in these things in Kansas City that that they would have the same professional standards, and maybe they don't in Ferguson, but if they don't, then they're an anomaly, and, and they're, they're you know, I, I don't know, but the only thing I can report on is what would happen in Kansas City, is that they would take the gun from the officer, they would mark exactly the way it was, you know, the first supervisor got there, his his job is to take the gun and and not do anything with it, and then the the evidence technicians get there, the CSI, and then they take it and they mark you know, they write down, okay, it's there. there's a round in the chamber and there's four rounds left in the clip. And uh, they write that down and, and then they take that gun in and they take it in for ballistics and then they go around and they don't quit until they find uh, every spent bullet that was fired and every shell casing that was fired. And then they take that all in. And, and so, first of all, the crime scene takes a long time on this kind of a, a sensitive shooting, an officer-involved shooting. And, and uh, uh, you know, they they get the officer in, and, and they'll take some kind of an initial statement right away. And uh, uh, then there's... Uh, uh, the witnesses and the witness statements, and they go back out and, and then do an area canvas, and then they'll hear about witnesses. Of, uh, they'll get a tip on a witness out there, so they'll go back out find what that witness has to say, and and then you got people coming out of the woodwork that that uh, may or may not even have been there that'll have some kind of a story, and and uh, so you got to get all that together and then sift it down to the best possible. Uh, uh, Story or the best possible uh, account of what exactly happened. And, and, and then somebody has to make a decision then. And, and so if uh, the decision is, if it's iffy at all, then they take it to the prosecutor. And I've noticed the prosecutor's already, he's not going to say yes or no. He's going to take it to a grand jury. So then they just have a parade of people going to the grand jury. So all this takes a long time. And, and in the end, you know, eventually this person's name will come out. Now, uh, I can understand why they might not want it to come out now because, uh, I mean, in, if he's some young guy with a family, uh, whether, you know, regardless of what he did, it, uh, you know, whether he fucked up or not, I don't know, I guess I should say that on the air, but regardless of whether he was made an error, you know, whether it was out of, Fear uh, uh, for his own life, whether it was out of maliciousness or whether it was uh, for whatever reason, uh, a, a miscalculation on his part, a you know a misperception. Okay. well, Gary, that's fair, That's
3: a fair. That's a fair, um, account of you know uh, assessment of what what happens. But well, that's that's why. You, mean, it, I mean, it,
0: what what good does it do to tell everybody what his name is? Why does everybody want to know his name so bad? Why is that such a big deal?
1: Okay. Um, right now. It's going um, to come do think, out. Do,
3: do, it's
0: going to come do, do out, think, why is that do, so important uh, well,
3: now? The, the question is, do you think if the bad cops who are um, involved with this type of behavior and effing up, as you say, um, and killing people, do you think that would probably deter them if they knew instantly if they're involved with any kind of shooting, if the person is dead or if they, if they just got shot in the leg or the foot? If their names were released um, publicly, do you think that would be a deterrent for them to behave in this ill manner? But if they're going no. to be hidden hidden behind this blue um, wall, as you guys describe it, um, I think people have a tendency to do things in the dark that they normally wouldn't do in the light. And as long as this blue wall is covering them up and, and allowing them to do things in the dark, they they feel a little bit comfortable. I think that's, well, that's uh, a reasonable...
0: You, you you're talking about how this is going to be covered up, but it's not going to be mm-hmm. covered up.
1: Mm-hmm. They
0: don't cover these things up. Nobody does except maybe, I don't know, some little tiny and rule rural department, but when you have this much mm-hmm. heat on something, nobody covers this mm-hmm. up. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> it would be crazy I'm to cover it up. Everybody purpose would go to
1: jail. Focus from the might fit that description, Gary.
0: What? Um...
1: Uh, the focus uh, of the Missouri Police Department might uh, fit that description. I believe there's only 53 officers on the actual city force of which this guy belongs. And I think it's about, uh, in terms of the people there in that community, it's about transparency. Um, it's about being fearful that there is a cover-up. Um you know, the the police chief has said that there's been a lot of death threats uh, coming in, but yet and still, uh, at least to my satisfaction, no one has presented any evidence of those uh, death threats, any published letters, any tapes that they might have gotten, and they can, you know, uh, edit those tapes uh, every which way they can. But at least put that out there. Uh, to let the people know that there are some credible death threats coming in uh, on this officer. I think that's probably one of the the problems in terms of the people there in Ferguson who have had a lot of experience with the Ferguson uh, Police Department. Um, I think the town is 67% black and the police department is 94% white. Um, Mm
4: -hmm.
1: And what we see here. And this incident may be the tip of the iceberg, and we don't know what's below the surface in terms of the relationship between the community and that particular police department. But there's something going on now.
0: I'm not assuming, I don't know if Ferguson has a long history of corruption and racism and and beating black people up and and all that. i would never heard of them before. You know, maybe they do. and, And... and maybe they are trying to cover it up, and and I understand the mm-hmm. transparency thing. It would maybe it would make people feel better. But uh, uh, like I said, if this is some young guy who just you know got scared and and uh, had an error in judgment, and he's got a wife and family, then and it's a small, and they all live in this small town, then you know their, his life is already over as far as well, no matter what happens, his life is, he knew it's over. So, I mean, they're going to have to move out of town and and. You know, it's just they're screwed. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm.
3: now, I don't know if you're familiar uh, with the the protesters being sprayed with um, rubber bullets, and they they were also yeah,
0: uh, I the one that knew sprayed with that. gas with uh, with
3: uh, they were gas tear gas, and um, the reporters were also tear gas and sprayed with uh, rubber bullets there. The equipment was confiscated um so all these things that are happening it would give most people the idea that why are you going so you know so harshly when you're supposed to be peacemakers you know officers are supposed to bring <laughs> peace correct
0: yeah <laughs> and you're, it seems right, like you're, you're right just, I, you
3: know, you know i don't know the but they
0: did the same thing in in uh the, 1967, 68, 69, 70 against uh, Vietnam War protesters. I mean, all these things are are not new. That that happened uh, quite a little bit. I, I know Preston right. remembers some right. of that. I remember we we had some of our own officers that that confiscated some film out of a camera and threw it away. I knew one of them actually, and and because uh, they didn't want their pictures taken. So, uh, right. so yeah. that's isn't not that
3: new. Of, Isn't that something that would tell you that th- there is a cover up? If you don't want people to take pictures while the protest is in a peaceful state and you're you going to confiscate, uh, you know, that's that. I think that sounds like a cover-up. What do you say, Gary?
0: Well, I uh, mean, we a uh, cover-up of something. I don't know if it's a, not going to be a cover-up <laughs> the whole shooting, but <laughs> it might be I a cover-up your finished. own action. Right. Um, last
3: question, fellas, last question, and then we're going to let you guys go. Um, they just uh, – appointed a new uh, sheriff, and he's not called a sheriff. I call him new sheriff in town in Ferguson. He's He's a captain. Captain Johnson. He's African-American. If either one of you were in his shoes, if they had appointed you, what would be the first thing you would do to calm this whole situation down and to be the ultimate peacemakers and to be the people that's there to protect and to serve the community? So, I want if you were a PR person and you had that position, how would you address what's going on now to unite people and to make this young man's death not be one in vain, but to be one that was transformative and that changed the world forever for better?
0: Well, I think uh, that's, that's my part. Go ahead, let Gary go. Um, Preston, go ahead. you want me to go? <laughs> I wanted Preston to go first, you know. And it's not funny. I, I, it's uh, uh, it would be a really difficult thing to move into because it's just the the images, the, the whole. Uh, I mean, there's much more. It much more. It's really in a way. It's, it's brought another issue that was already forming under the service among a lot of a lot of people and that out of 9-11, uh, police departments have become like little military units in, in many ways, and they've been outfitted. They've got, they got a ton of money because people were afraid of terrorists, and, and they feel better when they throw money at law enforcement and give them more uh, uh, latitude and, and more guns and, and bullets and stuff. So they feel safer, but uh, and now it's like uh, like an old time detective told me once. He said, "The citizens, uh, we're like their dogs, and when they get scared, they loosen the chain a little bit and let us go out and bite. And then when we start biting too much and they don't feel so afraid anymore, they jerk the chain back. And so that just happens over and over again. So they really let the law enforcement off the chain after 9/11 in many ways. And and so this is going to serve to to jerk the chain back on the dogs and 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 bring them back to heel a little bit and 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 you know it's just the only thing I would I could do uh, you know he just got to what would be nice if he get out and and stroll around among the people and and I realize he's got a small police department but uh, but just to kind of relax a little bit and and uh, now having said that that's easy to sit here in Kansas City and say. Uh, if there were some people that then started breaking windows and and looting businesses and setting fires and stuff, then you got to do something, and, and what you got to do is never pretty, and, and people don't like it. And
1: you know uh, what comes to my mind um, is what my niece stated um, when she was there uh, when this uh, captain uh, made his appeal to uh, the people and telling him who he was, where he grew up. Uh, that he was a resident of Ferguson, grew up in Ferguson, I am one of you. Um, and what he established there, I think, and she said they gave him a, a round of applause, was some solidarity. And I think if we look at the African-American community, starting here, and as we were talking earlier, going back through time, uh, the freedom seekers and, and whatnot, a uh, search truth. Uh, her famous statement, I think it was Sojourner uh, Truth, and correct me if I'm wrong, but something to the effect, ain't I human too? Was that her statement? Or am I a woman too? Am I a human also? And I think that's what that crowd was looking for, and I think that's what Johnson gave them. I want to give you another experience I had in the police department. Joe McManager, that was his name, police chief, uh, police chief came in from New York City, and Gary might remember this.
0: Oh, yeah, I remember. I know, been been I know the story you're going to tell, too. <laughs>
1: yeah. There had been a shooting. Uh, an officer shot uh, a teenager, black teenager, and Matt Manera did something I thought was unbelievable, but I just loved the man for doing it. And all he did was attend this young man's funeral, Okay. And then did he catch flack within the police Oh, department. God, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I think that's what finally drove him out. Uh, I think he left uh, Kansas City and went to, was it San Jose, Gary?
0: San Jose, I think, yeah.
1: Yeah. Became yeah, that was chief. a pretty strong
0: statement. That was, that was radical but, for especially but that our, was, our department at the time. I
1: mean, he wedded himself to the black community. I think he wedded himself to a number of black officers within the police department. And that's that's all it was. It was a gesture. This was a life, a human life. He went and paid his respects, but he never recovered from that. He never recovered from that. Well, Uh,
3: that's a terrible ending. That was a great story for him to stand up, but that blue wall is pretty crazy, it sounds like.